You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome back to the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead on all things in politics and government in North Carolina. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We thank you for checking in with us. Uh, I say weekly. We will go ahead and uh, uh, announce from the start that I think we're going to take a week off over the Christmas uh, holiday, and then we'll, we will be back uh, in the new year, uh, around the time of the new year. So uh, uh, you, we'll, we'll uh, give you plenty to listen to this week, and then we'll take a week off, and then we'll then we'll be back. Uh, we are joined by Colin Campbell of the News and Observer, Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer. We'll hear later from Craig Jarvis, uh, Benjamin Brown, Patrick Gannon is here. Uh, full cast, full slate. Uh, but let's jump right into the big news on the political side of things, which is filings, uh, filings and filings uh, heading into this uh, final weekend as people uh, make their decisions uh, about running, not running. Some uh, decided to run and then decided not to run. Lynn Bonner, uh, a big name, yeah, was so on was on the list. It's filings and unfilings. Um, we have uh, Senator Fletcher Hartzell who's represented a Senate district out in Cabarrus County for 13 terms. He's in his 25th year, uh, filing to run, then unfiling yesterday. Um, you know, he's he was heralded as uh, somebody who, um, you know, took on some hard issues without regard to partisanship. But he's also he was also under investigation by the State Board of Elections for a very long time. Um, and they uh, forwarded a case to prosecutors on the belief that he used campaign funds to pay for personal items like family dinners and shoe repairs and, and other things. So he leaves um, after many years, but also with, uh, uh, with some question marks hanging. Now, uh, he did get a nice uh, send-off from the Senate leader, uh, Phil Berger. He did get a nice send-off. And, that, you and, know. and some credit uh, right. for some significant. Yeah, for uh, working on, on hard issues. Uh, as I said, he uh, worked on mental health and, and some other issues that are, are, are tough and, and stayed with him for years. So, yeah, um, it, you know, he, he made a mark there. And worth noting, uh, uh, Hartzell was – was really an influential uh, senator, even when Democrats uh, right. were he, in power, right? Exactly. Um, he held some committee chairmanships when, uh, under Democrats when Democrats held a large majority uh, in the Senate. Um, you know, he ran a, a judiciary committee. So, yeah, he was um, he was respected on both sides. And so, with his, uh, so he had filed to run. All indications were that he was going to run again, yeah. and then uh, withdrew. Yesterday was the yesterday deadline. being Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. was the deadline for uh, withdrawing, and and he did it by Wednesday, and that meant also that anyone who had filed to run for another race could not switch. So uh, there was a certain amount of, you know, locking in uh, with that deadline. Uh, he did have a primary opponent already signed up to run. Um, and so um, there there is somebody in that race. So far, no, no Democrat has uh, has filed. Interesting. And you spoke, uh, I believe, at, at one point with an attorney 
who uh, represents uh, right. uh, Hartzell, he, did he say that this was related to the uh, the, the ongoing that, probes? He said or? this was not related, and uh, Senator Hartzell repeated that to our colleague uh, from Charlotte, Jim Morrill, said this had nothing to do with it, that he, uh, he said uh, there was a turning point uh, last week when he took his uh, granddaughter to see Disney on Ice and realized, um, you know, he wanted to refocus and spend more time with his grandchildren and on church projects and the like. Spend more time with family. Colin Campbell, that's a phrase we've been hearing a lot this filing season. Uh, there's another, you know, uh, a well-known name uh, that also decided not to run. Yeah, this was the same the- situation as uh, Fletcher Hartzell. Uh, Senator Dan Suchek, who is from uh, the Boone area, a uh, fairly prominent uh, Republican in the Senate. He'd also filed that he was going to run for another term, and then right before uh, the deadline to withdraw, he also withdrew his name, much like Hartzell. So there's, uh, I think in the case of both of them, speculation that uh, that they had maybe made their decision a little bit earlier, but may have waited towards the end to uh, hopefully uh, make it a smoother path for anybody that they might be uh, encouraging to run in their stead. In, in uh, Suchek's case, within a couple hours of uh, his announcement, um, someone else who uh, I I'm, I'm would imagine he's fairly well acquainted with, a woman from Blowing Rock who also works for Franklin Graham's uh, Samaritan's Purse organization, or at least used to, uh, Suchek also uh, had been affiliated with that group. She is uh, now the only Republican uh, in that race for his seat. So uh, some question about whether uh, if any other Republicans who currently hold elected office, either in the House or perhaps at a county commission level, had been interested in running for either of those two Senate seats, um, they're now locked into whatever race they uh, had initially filed for. So that's uh, sort of a, an interesting, you know, inside baseball aspect of, of these two uh, very prominent uh, retirements that we learned about this week. Now, that adds to a, a growing list of uh, lawmakers who are familiar names, uh, who really we will not be hearing from after now we of course this is all getting decided because folks have to file now to run but these people aren't retiring or resigning their seats they're just saying they're not going to run so they'll all still be around uh in the next uh in the next year but after that they'll be gone how many colin campbell uh, uh off the top of your head if you've got it how many uh, uh, lawmakers now who are actually seated will uh, no longer be there after the uh, upcoming short session. Well, uh, the, the list is, I think, grown to around 20 or so total, um, and a lot of it's in the House. There are a few in the Senate. Um, if I can do my fast-talking voice, I'm gonna, I can actually run through the list as compiled. Stan Bingham, oh. Bob Rucho, Tom Apodaca, Fletcher Hartzell, Dan Suchek, Paul Stam, Rain Brown, Jacqueline Schaefer, Leo Daughtry, Paul Tyne, Nathan Baskerville, J.H. Langdon, Rick Patlin, Ken Waddell, Roger West, Chris Whitmire, Trisha Cotham, and then Josh Stein and Buck Newton are running for other offices. I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Somehow I got wow, through that without that stumbling pretty, dramatically. Yeah, but. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> Just to give you a flavor yeah. of how many people are good. leaving. That's a flavor, all right. Uh, um, and significantly, some of those people have been around for a long time. I mean, the place is losing a lot of institutional memory um, when people like Leo Daughtry and, and Apodaca and, uh, leave. Now, tell me, uh, Lynn, am I wrong? There's a feeling here, really, of a changeover of a, 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 a just a, we're 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 going to be heading into a new period, new leadership. Of course, Phil Berger's still there. Right. Tim Moore's been around a while, but but yeah, it is down in these ranks where people really are doing heavy lifting. Right. That there is going to be some significant turnover 
in that level, is that? Exactly. I mean, the big question is, okay, well, Apodaca's leaving. He was really Berger's number two. Who steps into that job? Um, Mm. Maybe not too many candidates for that, but, you know, that leaves a – that leaves a big hole in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of the details and um, detailed work that's done in both uh, in both chambers. Um, a lot of people who did that are are, are leaving. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see who takes on the tax reform mantle that's been sort of the uh, primary cause of Bob Rucho in the Senate uh, for the last few years. Uh, someone's going to presumably continue that trend, but uh, it won't be Rucho because he won't be there. And we've seen some really big changes in state policy in the next five years, in the last five years. And um, question is, you know, Rucho and Apodeca are saying, well, we've done what we came to do and or a lot of what we came to do. And I guess that raises the question in my mind, are we going to see the same pace of change over the next few years that we saw in the last five? Mm -hmm. Well, and so on your question, I would think uh, folks are probably talking about the uh, budget writers, uh, Harry Brown being a prominent one, Brent Jackson, you know, uh, Kathy Kathy Harrington. Harrington, They seem to be, they're all coming back. Is that right? They're all coming back. And, um, you know, one of them may be poised to to uh-huh. fill some of these holes that are, are being left. Well, there you yeah. go. That'll be something to watch. So let's take a break, and we'll be back with Craig Jarvis and Benjamin Brown of The Insider. In 2016, when you go to the polls, bring your passion and be sure to bring a photo ID. You see, this election, you'll be asked to show an acceptable photo ID at the polls. If you don't have an ID or if you're unable to obtain one, there are still options for voting. There are lots of acceptable IDs. But only one you. This election, be seen, be heard. For information on exceptions or for help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov or call 866-522-4723. Hey, and welcome back to the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead at all things in politics and government. In North Carolina, we've been talking about politics. We'll shift gears now and talk a little bit about uh, government uh, flavor of politics, I guess. Craig Jarvis uh, joins us with the News and Observer. Benjamin Brown of the Insider. Let's start with uh, Craig. You've been uh, trying to get up to speed on something that will be on the ballot. Everybody will consider in uh, March, starting March third. By the way, March third is when early voting starts, right? I think is that's that right? right. March third. I'm looking around. Yes. So everybody talks about March 15th as the primary, but but uh, folks, if you're listening, uh, March 3rd is when the voting begins. Um, but anyway, Craig, so the bond uh, uh, committee, I guess, is ramping up. Uh, tell us what's going on on the bond uh, front. Yeah, well, there was a big announcement uh, when the governor signed the bill, putting the uh, this bond issue on the ballot for uh, – for uh, infrastructure improvements and a variety of other things. And they kind of dropped out of sight the last couple months, but they've actually been working very hard putting together their, uh, you know, the structures they need to have uh, across the state. They they set some fundraising goals. They, um, they've, they've got kind of a three-tiered uh, uh, committee that, that's working. There's kind of the big, the, the, the uh, wealthy and prominent people up on top. Then there's the sort of not so well-known but well-connected you know, co-chairman down below. And then there's the actual people work, working on the ground. There's like states been divided up into three groups where they're going to 
just get out there and do a sales job and all the myriad different things that this bond would uh, would benefit. And and there's quite a bit. It's agricultural research, the, the community colleges, universities would get some, the National Guard would get some, zoos, state parks. So there's a lot a lot of uh, beneficiaries. If they're, and they're just trying to raise awareness of that. And uh, it's all going to be kicked off formally uh, January 5th. Uh, at NC State, and uh, then you'll be uh, they're raising money to buy TV ads and the t- traditional kind of advertising. That, so you'll you'll be hearing about it more after the first of the year. Now, so will we see Governor McCrory in these ads? You know, uh, Eisenhower no, Republican. We won't. This is know. a big a big issue with him. This was his a big part of his image is this, as you said, this you know road building. Uh, a governor, and this one won't be roads at all. Actually, the legislature didn't go along with that part of it. But uh, uh, an advisory from the state board of elections said that nobody, a candidate in this year's election, cannot have his picture on advertising related to this bond campaign. That's not that's not kosher. That's not going to work. So uh, um, that that part's not. You know, it, it it remains to be seen. I think there's some, still some question that has to be sorted out whether McCrory's name can be mentioned. Like like we said, this is a pet project of his, of his, and uh, they're hoping to raise three point three million dollars to uh, mm. to okay. to get this off and running. So that would pave then for these ads, I guess. So yeah, be, ads, digital yeah, advertising, like mailers, mm-hmm. door knocking. Now it's worth mentioning. I believe uh, the the. Uh, Attorney General Roy Cooper has said he's in support of this. He's in favor of it, too. Uh, yeah. Ken Spalding is also in favor of in it. In favor. It's a bipartisan so. effort. I mean, literally, the people involved in the organizing committees on down, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's you know, nobody uh, – they all, they all think it's a good idea. Is anybody against it formally uh, organ- in an organized fashion? No, formally or informally. Huh. The, uh, I, I, ch- I specifically checked with Americans for Prosperity, which is – Opposed similar bond measures innumerable on innumerable occasions across the country, and they said they're sitting it out. And they said they were not. You know, this doesn't don't read anything into the fact we're sitting it out. We've just got a lot to do. We can't take this on. Now, one of the features of the bond, uh, uh, I guess, offering the bond program, uh, the projects that are in it, of course, are all over the state. Uh, you know, a lot of different counties, uh, cities, different programs, uh, and that's, a, I guess, a good way to, to transition into uh, Benjamin Brown of the Insiders been following an issue that also is focused on, you know, helping uh, uh, large parts of the state, and really it has to do with how uh, state money is allocated in various areas. Uh, and there was so a lot of discussion about that in this past uh, week and in a, a really a flavor that there may be some significant legislation coming on that. Benjamin Brown, bring us up to speed. What in the world is going on with uh, something that we think of as the uh, tier system, I right. guess, for lack of a better word? Yeah, this is something that the insiders actually followed for a while. Uh, it becomes timely again because a report just came out basically indicting the tier system in a way. Uh, since the, the the 90s, since the mid 1990s, did mid-1990s. the tier system uh, defend itself in, uh, on this indictment? It did not yeah. comment, okay. not yeah. itself. No comment. Okay, good. Um, but th- this goes back to the mid 1990s. North Carolina has used what's called the tier system to rank each county based on its economic condition, and they essentially do that for eligibility for you know state economic aid generally. But there are some other programs that go by the tiers. Um, you're either a, a tier one. Your county is either a tier one, meaning you're economically distressed, or you're a tier two, meaning generally that you're about average, or you're a tier three, meaning you're affluent. 
which is highly debatable. Um, the criticism is that blanketing this category over an entire county means you're unfairly saying things are either bad or they're average or they're good for the purposes of distributing economic aid. And we all know, for the most part, that we're a lot more diverse than that. So there might be you know, enough wealth and population growth in a county to make it a tier three county on paper, um, meaning affluent, and you're doing relatively well. But you know, what about those areas that are you know, really struggling within that county and really could use some economic aid? Well, that's kind of the heart of the issue. Lower tier counties are more eligible. They're supposed to be more eligible for economic aid than the tier three counties. Um, but what if you got a tier three county like, you know, Moore County, you know, you've got Southern Pines, you've got a lot of wealth, but then you've also got the town of Robbins, which has really struggled, you know, to the point where you think it would be a shoe in for economic assistance money, um, except that it's in a tier three county and that can mess things up a bit because there are some kinds of state financial programs that disqualify tier three counties. And then you've got these artificial influencers with the tier system. Like if you got less than 12,000 people in your county, then you're considered, you know, challenged in the way of growth. Um, so you're a tier one county automatically, but you know, look at Camden County where the median family income is more than $70,000, which is pretty good, um, relative to most counties in the state, most counties in the state, mm-hmm. but it's a tier one because only 10,000, some people live there. So a study from the program evaluation division, which is the legislature's sort of quote unquote watchdog agency came out and basically said, we got to discontinue this. Doesn't make any sense anymore. There used to be some tax credits that this program was tied to. These tax credits are expired, and now it's just kind of like a random program that uh, is used to measure eligibility for economic aid, and we need to think of something new. So we don't know what it's going to look like yet, but there are some ideas, some conversation starting points. And, of course, this will 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 uh, pick up on this whole conversation that's been going on for some time about how to help the rural areas. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know this whole rural—that's a hard word to say. Rur- mm. Rural, rural, and brewery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and brewery, mm. rural breweries. Maybe we'll talk rural about that on the next Domecast. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, so so that's where this is all probably headed. Is there's going to be uh, you know rural interests and more urban interests are going right. to be really paying attention if you're going to redraw this. Especially if you're uh, a tier two county. Um, mm-hmm. Representative um, Nelson Dollar is on the program, the Joint Legislative Program Evaluation Oversight Committee, which is a legislative committee that's looked at this. And he basically said, you know, if you look at the data, most of the money goes to tier two counties, most of this economic aid money. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean there are more tier two counties. They're actually, by law, in statute, there are 40 tier one counties, 40 tier two counties, 20 tier three counties. Tier three being the more prosperous, right. Wake County, Mecklenburg, exactly. right? But they're the ones the quote unquote doing doing better than the rest. Right. So it's harder for them to get certain types of state aid as a result of this designation. That's right. Yeah. And tier two counties might see a shift in eligibility if they change up the criteria somehow because they've received the lion's share of the money mm-hmm. under the tier system. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you're in a tier two county and you're an economic developer, this is an issue you want to pay attention uh-huh. to. And the tier ones are sitting there saying, hey, maybe we'll get a little bit more out of this, right? Which is the, the, That was sort of the vibe. Um, the, the general idea was, you know, you would think if we got this three tier system that most of the aid would go to offset the hardships in the tier one counties, which hasn't really been the case. Mm-hmm. So they're just saying that the whole system is just kind of backward and we need to revise it somehow. So I think part of this mm-hmm. is going to be looking at what other, what other states do and 
of course, the Department of Commerce administers these tiers, so they're going to be a voice in the process. And then I'm sure all the county economic development mm-hmm. folks are going to be at the table. It could be a very difficult question uh, to answer. Yeah. I predict, uh, uh, now it's dangerous to make predictions, but this is a long session issue 2017, right? It could be. It yeah. may be a little much for the short session. Yeah, this will be a study by the end of 16. Okay, good. That's really interesting um, and great insight. Thank you. Uh, For that, let's take a short break, and we'll come back with our Headliners of the Week. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital, and they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. And we're back on the Domecast, uh, our favorite part. We know that you skipped right ahead to this. Go back and listen to the show. It's uh, been a good one. A lot of interesting discussion. But now we move to uh, our headliners of the week. 45 seconds. We give someone to argue for a person. And then we pick somebody, uh, as you know, just for fun. And, uh, you know, when we started this, we had a bell. And we haven't brought the bell in in a long time. So... Um, I'm going to bring back the bell. We'll do 45 seconds, and we're going to bell people. Um, let's start with Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. And can I interject for a second here? Because there's something that I think is appropriate to do at this very point in the show. The way you deliver the phrase, who is your headliner of the week, is something that people generally take a, a liking to. And um, I think that's sort of become sort of like a, a bumper sticker for the Domecast. And I've had this idea in my head for a while, and I kind of laid it down as maybe sort of like a segment theme song. I like to play it for you now, because I think we're at the start of the segment, and I think this is a good time to do it. So, without further ado. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. Yes. You mentioned the bell, and there it is. (laughs) And the bell. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, to you. okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Wow. Uh, okay. So Colin Campbell, tell us, I wish I could re- do that. Who is your, I can't do the, I can't do that. If someone here could beatbox, yeah. but that person uh, is not me. Uh, okay. So Colin, who is your headliner of the week? All right, I'm thinking uh, Marco Rubio. He's going to be in town um, January for a fundraiser at the home of John Kane, the developer behind North Hills, getting a lot of uh, support around here. But, you know, there's a, there's a different headliner that uh, is more of a headliner to Domecast listeners, or at least this is a headline to them. Uh, the departure of one Mr. Andy Curlis, who is doing Domecast for the final time uh, after uh, a year of being our editor and the uh, fearless host who introduced this program. So if you've been enjoying Domecast over the past six, eight months, however long it's been, uh, you've got uh, Andy largely to thank for that. And uh, because of that, I think I'm going to ditch Marco and make Andy my headliner. Uh, that's... That is, uh, okay, 
Andy Curtis is in. That's not allowed. I think we we'll just cut all this out. This is not. You're gonna... welcome to disqualify me. Okay. It is you know your game yeah. show. All right. Okay. So who's next? Gannon. All right, Gannon, tell us who is your headliner of the week. I think it'd be hard to resist uh, Representative Cecil Brockman of High Point, who was pulled over for not wearing his seatbelt and um, uh, then got into sort of an argument with the troopers who pulled him over, and it turned and escalated into this big, huge story this week. But I'm going to skip over uh, Cecil Brockman, and I'm also going to nominate... Uh, Mr. Andy Curtis, the the fearless host of the Domecast, who is leaving uh, for a new position that he'll probably tell you about at some point. Um, and we are all definitely going to miss Andy. So Andy is my nominee as well. Uh, okay. Do you sense a trend? I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I don't know quite what to say. I'm afraid to call on Lynn Bonner at this point. And you should uh, be. Lynn Bonner. Because, you know, Libertarians made a pretty good case for being headliner of the week. They've got a full slate of people uh, running for offices, including Sean Ha making a return um, candidacy for. U.S. Senate, but I think there's a place for Andy Curlis and a good reason to nominate the father of Domecast as uh, headliner of the week. He's had a stellar career here at the NNO. Um, Andy, I was around when you uh, took on uh, scientific games and a, uh, a a person who wanted to be commissioner of be on the lottery commission who was also secretly. Uh, lobbying for the lottery and helping writing the law. So um, that was just one of the things that you wrote about, Andy, that that really helped change the course of the state. So uh, Andy Curlis as headliner of the week. Hmm. Okay. And Lynn Bonner really is the creator of the Domecast. I have to correct the record on that. So uh, Lynn Bonner really was the inspiration for the show. So. All right, uh, Craig Jarvis. Well, I guess me, you've all uh, <laughs> you've all guessed uh, by now. I'm not going to uh, go with what I actually thought. Told Andy I was going to go with, and I'm just going to go. I, I I just remember months ago when Andy said, "Let's do a dome cast," and I think I said something like, "Why?" And then I might have followed it up with, "Who would listen?" And uh, Andy said, "Let's just have fun with it." And so that was kind of our marching orders. And I think, uh, surprisingly, it's it's been kind of popular in, a, in our own little world. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, it's just kind of the kind of thing that Andy brought to, to his role as an editor for the state cap team. And uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to work with him for many years. Oh, okay, so this guy Curlis is in the hat again. <laughs> uh, ben Brown of The Insider, I guess your turn to take a whack at this. All right, uh, curveball. Um, Good. I'm going to pick Andy Curlis oh. uh, as uh, my headliner of the week. You know, a- a- Andy Curlis is a name that I knew well before I came to the News and Observer. Definitely, um, if you're a journalist in North Carolina and you're interested in accountability or investigations, that's just a name you came to know. And uh, it's been a pleasure, an extreme pleasure, getting to work with you um, for for what for me has been a fairly short period of time. I've only been here a, you know a year and a half now, but. Um, it, it, you were actually one of the first people who said, "Hey, let's uh, let's go to lunch." And uh, you know, in my early days, and uh, just appreciate the welcome, and I appreciate the guidance and um, the help, and I'm not going to forget it. And I don't want um, Domecast to go without your cadence of saying who is your headliner of the week. 
because uh, sounds like you took care of that. I I, <laughs> I took care of that. So uh, everyone is welcome. Well, and I was just hoping that you would pick up the bill that day for lunch. So that's why I asked you. Yeah. So um, has anybody left? Okay, good. Well, so Phil Berger is the headliner <laughs> of the week, uh, going off out of the hat. No, I guess, uh, well, so, yeah. all right, so uh, so for folks who don't know, I am, uh, I have announced my departure from the NNO, uh, but I will be around, and um, I look forward to reading and listening, and the reason why we do this show, and really you hear it if you listen, is... Um, just to provide a little bit of fun, but the real work uh, that goes on here, and you hear it, is by all of the the folks that you hear on the show um, each week who go out and actually talk to people and verify information, which is uh, by far the most important thing that we can do. It is a public service, and it is a privilege uh, to work with all of the people that you hear on the show. So. So for that, uh, I'll just say thanks. This was a surprise, of course, and um, I guess this is my last Domecast, but the Domecast surely will go on. So we thank you for listening for today's show, and we will, of course, see you soon. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 